Welcome to the first episode of No Excuses. No Excuses. No Excusas. No Excusas. Not to be confused with um, No Accusations. That's a different podcast altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. My iPad is dead. Never mind. I don't even know why I brought this. No worries. Um, I'm just going to look intelligent. I'm going to be looking down on a screen that is not even on, which is fine. Um, So, yes. Welcome to our first podcast. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, for viewing this, for liking, for subscribing, all those goodies. And remember, the only rhythm that is important is the algorithm. (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's important. Uh huh. Well, on today's episode, we're going to be covering anxiety. Yes. Yes. Our own personal stories. Yep. Um, we were at one point both dealing with some pretty serious anxiety for different reasons, different yeah. origins. Um, came about came about for different reasons. Yeah. But um, bottom line is we were both delivered. At different times. Yep. His time was at 8, mine was at 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. It was just one hour apart. Eastern Standard Time. Yes. Well, I was actually on the West Coast when I had oh, my okay, deliverance. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's cool, though. It's fine. It's the same thing. An hour is an hour. <laughs> like when they say it's 5 o'clock somewhere, somebody's going to deliver it somewhere at 5 o'clock. So. There's no one getting delivered right now. It all, yeah, that's it. It all works out. It's all working out, but uh, but yeah, no, a serious note, you know. Um, the voice of anxiety is a real thing, and uh, we really want to shed light on that. You know, not just only just share our testimonies, but we hope and pray that as you watch this, or as when you finish this, um, that it blesses you and that it draws you closer to a place of understanding the origins. Because everybody always talks about, you know, what things are, but in order to deal with anything, you got to go to the root. And if we never go to the root, then we're never going to know why we do the things that we do and uh, why things affect us uh, in the ways that they do and why it continuously uh, continues to happen, you know, almost like like a, like a, just a violent uh, vortex over and over again. Um, and that's just the plan of the enemy. You know, and not even to over-sensationalize the power of the enemy because we never want to do that. But it's the truth, you know, mm-hmm. just the way that God works. Um, and literally, God does have a rhythm. He does. And it's not the algorithm, though. Um, but he does move uh, in a way. And he says that. He says, my ways are not your ways. Mm-hmm. You know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Um and we need to be really cognizant of, of really what that means. What God says that it is where, you know, his ways are not our ways. You know, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we need to bring ourselves through the word of God, through prayer, through meditation, through soul searching. When I say soul searching, I don't mean it in the way that we over abuse or overhear that phrase nowadays. But I mean like do an inventory of our heart and inventory of our own personal lives. Because we can't go sometimes, you know, it's it sounds like a cliche, but it's not. We can't go forward sometimes until we go back. 
And that doesn't mean that we're going to put the car in reverse. It just means that we have to look back and fix some things, address some things, unearth some things, you know. Uh, I've shared this uh, with Saul before. Um, it's like what it says in the book of Jeremiah, you know, chapter 1. When uh, God was dealing with Jeremiah and encouraging him and, you know, Jeremiah's hearing the voice of God for the first time. God gives uh, Jeremiah a chronological order in that chapter that is so important. I'm not going to go into that now because it'll take too much time, but we have to kind of go into that, you know, and follow that chronological order because sometimes, you know, we want to we want to have an amazing marriage. Mm -hmm. We want to have kids. Uh, we want to build something. We want to build a business. We want to build a ministry. We want to start a podcast. You know, we want to do all these things and then, but we never address the skeletons in our own closet, you know, the things. And if you don't address them, they become like this ball and chain. Yeah. You're trying to drag this ball and chain through yeah. ministry, through life. Yeah. And you can't figure out why it is that this weight won't just go away. And I would even say that, you know, how they say, oh, you know, the silent killer. It's not a silent killer. It's actually pretty noisy, which is why we're calling it, you know, the the voice of anxiety. It's it's very noisy. Mm -hmm. But um, it's almost like when people say um, he, ha he has a selective hearing, you know, or she has selective hearing. You know, we don't want to give attention to the thing that is screaming at us day after day, morning after morning, night after night, or not even let you let, not even letting us uh, sleep at night. Mm -hmm. If you want to give us an insomnia, if you will, because there's some people that have so much anxiety, they can't even sleep at night. That used to happen to me too. And the thing is in today's culture, anxiety and mental illness is spoken about so much. Yes. But not in this light. Yes. It's spoken about in in a way where it's a chemical imbalance in your brain or mm -hmm. due, is due to PTSD. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole other side to anxiety that most people don't really address, and it's the spiritual side. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it comes, it comes in, yes, through trauma. Other times it comes in through the doors that you've opened up in your own life yeah. that you've, that you've um, kept secret, yeah. no secret sin. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. So let's let's uh, let's talk about origins, because you know I've always said this. A lot of people that are close to me always know this about me. Uh, I'm obsessed with origins, even for the good things. Like for instance, when I fall in love with a restaurant, I want to I want to know how did that restaurant get started? Mm -hmm. You know, what was in the mind or the heart of the chef or, or, or the owner or the couple that started the business, and like what made them desire to start that thing? You know, because it, it kind of gives you the story of the essence and the passion for the business, but really what we really get into the nitty gritty of what and how anxiety and fear, because it's the same thing. Uh, some people say that their cousins came into our lives. Then we can truly understand what we're dealing with. You know, we can put everything on the table. So Saul, you want to go first? Sure. So for those that know me, truly personally know me they know that i didn't really grow up in the best um environment as a kid um my mother was married married this uh this man um and uh turned out to be very abusive um the signs were always there even before they were married i, re I remember being eight nine years old and wondering why is this man even in our lives 
and warning after warning. My mother, my grandmother tried to warn my mother not to marry this man, and she ended up defying her, thinking he could, she could change him. And because of that decision, it essentially just brought a lot of pain into my life, into my mother's life. I had to grow up a lot faster than most kids, almost in a way how I had to protect my mother, I had to be there um, to pick up the pieces whenever they would get into some kind of an argument. Uh, I saw a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of cursing. I can't say I ever saw him hit my mother, even though there's no way that he didn't. Yeah, yeah for sure. And um, <clears throat> this went on for at least 13 years. And it wasn't until I was 15 years old that I finally, I guess, got tired of uh, taking his crap in a sense and started talking back. And that completely scared my mother because now it wasn't, this is, it's not a one way street anymore. Now it's, you're talking, it's like two men essentially getting into an argument and my mother's trying to keep the peace. Sure. He couldn't, he couldn't sun you anymore. No, he yeah. couldn't. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of anger then, and uh, I essentially carried it with me even after I after I moved out at 21 huh. and moved in with uh, with Amanda. But 13 years of arguing and yelling and the cops showing up and ACS cases and almost coming to blows with this man hmm. left a pretty big um, scar. And left some pretty severe anxiety. Um, I was going to, th I was going through therapy the entire time, trying to mitigate the damage. Um, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 17 years old, but never truly committed myself to following the Lord until I became 21. I guess I was still very mature. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't receive proper discipleship. So it wasn't until I was 21 that I started kind of diving deeper into the things of the Lord. And um, it wasn't until I started doing that, that it kind of seemed to get better, but never fully went away. I found myself um, feeling anxious at random times for no reason. Um, social settings seemed to be a trigger. Um, work seemed to be a trigger, especially once I moved up, moved on up to mechanic and how the responsibility was solely on my shoulders to run this job. Um, why do you, why do you think work was a trigger? What about work that correlates to what was the connection between you're working hard, perhaps maybe pressure around the job site, right? But then, like, was it pressure to not be like this man, to be better than this man, so that you wouldn't be this man, you know, this stepfather of yours? What's, what do you think the connection there was? Well, the connection was, um, I would say, people-pleasing. When I lived with the both of them, I always had to try to be the perfect son. Sure. Try not to be in the way, get as much of them as possible, and just stay out of their way, kind of kind of thing. 
So out of, out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. So yeah. at work, I kind of dragged that in mm. to my work life, where I was like, okay, no, I can't. You know, like, there's no way I can fail. Even as a new as a new elevator mechanic, I could not fail. I wasn't in my head. I wasn't allowed to make the mistakes that every elevator mechanic makes starting out. Did it, almost held to this level of perfection that even I couldn't achieve. Did it incapacitate you from asking for help? Yeah, I, it did. There were a lot of instances where I found myself not knowing something and instead of calling my boss or calling the foreman, I would reach out to my old mechanic. Hey, um, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> do you remember how to do this? Can you explain it to me one more time? You think that maybe it was because your stepfather... Uh was such a negative person was always downcasting you that you didn't want to be ridiculed just for asking or for not knowing something or for feeling dumb for not knowing something that how could you know it but still you know you still felt like you're, you're this kid again in every instance and it's this man it's this man that's coming against you putting you down making you feel like crap you know well i never thought about it in that way at the time i just thought of it as I have to do my job and I have to do it well and I don't want to get in trouble with the bosses. Sure. So whatever the bosses wanted, I did. Right. And that pretty much was the culture of the company that I worked for at that time. Mm. But um, <clears throat> I went through a period of time, I guess, three to four years where it felt like I had a reprieve from the anxiety from the intrusive thoughts of course it was always lingering but it came to a head when Amanda uh well we all had COVID for the first time and was that a special time was that uh <laughs> oh that sucked <laughs> uh, for me it wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be yeah and my kids kind of just ran through it with no issues and at first it seemed like Amanda was gonna just breeze right through it um because all she has was sore throat. The kids had, had fevers, 102, 103, lasted two days, went away. I got sick, barely had a fever. And <clears throat> it was, what, like day three, day four, I felt like I was almost back to normal. Yeah. As soon as I felt the slightest bit better, Amanda got sick. And it's the sickest I've ever seen her. Oh, wow. She was bedridden for three and a half days. Uh. It hurt to walk. It hurt to move. She had a fever that would not come down. Uh, 102. I think the highest it went up to was 103. Again, I've never seen her this sick. Mm. You would think, okay, you know, the data, the science, she's healthy. She'll run, she'll run right through this. And in that moment, it's as if the enemy himself came whispering in my ear. Mm. You know she's going to die. How are you going to raise these kids by yourself? There's no way you can do it. You're not her. You can't play with, interact with them the same way that she can. That way you're messed up childhood. What are you going to do? And the panic set in in such an unbelievable way. It felt like a, like a dark covering just came over me in that moment. And I was so relieved when it was over. And I thought, okay, I'm out of the woods. And it wasn't until maybe two, three weeks later that I started noticing things were, I was acting differently. My mind was working differently. Mm. I was finding myself needing to take 
a break from any kind of social gathering. I felt like I couldn't breathe. My chest started hurting. I felt like I needed to run out of the room. And that was unusual for me. Like, that's the kind of anxiety that I had in the beginning of this whole or this whole thing. Yeah. And I hadn't experienced that since then. It, was, it had been at least five or six years. And I knew something was wrong, but I didn't, at the time, I couldn't see it. Five or six years, it's like a an episode, if you will. Yeah. Okay. That was the last time. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. I, I couldn't pinpoint it. I just thought, man, I guess the anxiety's back. And it's back with a vengeance. And then I called you. And I was telling you, asked me how my day was. And I, and I told you. And you just said, that's a spirit. And it's almost that when you said those words, it's like someone smacked me upside the head and, and opened my eyes. I'm like, yeah, this, is, this isn't normal. Huh. This kind of irrational fear, irrational... Um, thoughts? No, that she's gonna die. How am I gonna raise these kids on my own? In that moment, I realized what all those thoughts were and where they originated from, and I realized that those weren't my thoughts. And it was actually that was what um, Thanksgiving, right? I think it may have been Thanksgiving yeah. night. Yeah, that was Thanksgiving night. Yeah, I called you at eleven p.m. Because in a prior conversation, you said that you would uh, pray over me the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm laying in bed, and it's 11.30, and something in me says, do not leave this for tomorrow. Call him up right now. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, all right, let's go. Yeah. We sat in your car. You prayed over me, and you put your hand on my forehead, and the next thing I knew, I was crying. I felt this something leaving my body it was a feeling i've never felt before and for the next three to four days i had the joy of the lord again i could pray again prayers that were seized up for at least a month after amanda got covid just started flowing out and since then i haven't had another panic attack i haven't had another uh episode oh, hey there praise god and I took your advice, and um, I don't own it anymore. Yeah, I don't refer to it as my anxiety anymore. Yeah. Because yeah. from what the Lord has delivered you from, you're not bound by it anymore. That's it. Return to sender. Return to sender. Yeah. Yeah. Return to sender. Yeah, totally, man. That's awesome. That is awesome. And so, you know, because... I think I told you that night that uh, there had to be an exchange, you know, mm -hmm. like when Jesus says, you know, come unto me, all you, you know, who are heavy burdened. And he'll know, give you rest. And he'll give you rest. And uh, God gave you rest that night. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Praise God. He man. gave me rest. He opened my eyes. Um, honestly, I can't say I had that kind of clarity since before my mother met met this guy yeah it was I, you could ask Amanda I was just sitting in the car randomly crying but tears of joy yeah I wasn't sad I could think clearly yeah I'm at, I'm at work and I don't have all these kinds of intrusive thoughts getting in the way of, of my productivity yeah yeah praise God man that's awesome that's awesome 
And so now it's been, uh, what's that, four months now, right? How do you feel now? How do you feel? Like, what's 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 your day-to-day now? Well, now it's pretty much what everybody else experiences, you know, moments of just being overwhelmed or you feel tired. Um, I will say there have been days where I feel like that anxiety wants to creep back in. I still hear those whispers. Almost like, come on, you should worry about this. And yeah. I've been able to identify it. And whenever it comes, I just I just give it to God. Almost like a knock-knock joke. Yeah. Knock-knock. Yeah. Who's there? Oh, you're past anxiety. And you're like, no, I'm good, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to open up the door. But even that, it's just to show that you can be delivered of something. But the enemy's never going to stop coming for you yes he knows your weak points yeah. he's got he got you on that route before yeah and if you're not careful he'll get you on that same yeah. thing again yes yes yep i've always said this and i've i've shared this with you before too that um it's almost as if you know the bible talks about you know the arrows of the enemy you know uh the wiles of the devil uh, there are many things, but there's one particular thing, like even how uh, Paul mentions, you know, this uh, this thorn in his flesh. And I've always said this, I always feel like there's one thing, one particular area. There's many areas, but there's one particular thing, if you will, if you want to call it your, your our Achilles heel or whatever, you know, where the enemy is continuously, you know, it, it'll, it'll come in different colors. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll it'll wear different things. It'll come in a different outfit, but it's the same thing. You know, um, and I think it's extremely important that not only that we recognize that, but that we position ourselves in a place to be on guard forever. Not our guard, like, you know, ready, set, fight, round one. No, round eternal. Mm -hmm. Uh, From here to, uh, what time are we done? Oh, till till Jesus comes back. (laughs) Until you close your eyes, take your last breath. That's right. It's it's a continuous fight. That's right. You can't let your guard down. You just can't. Yeah. Amen. And so you realize now that Deliverance is a gift that you must steward properly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that, yeah, I need deliverance and you receive it and then immediately go back to the same thing that caused it in the first place. Right. Right. If, if the Lord took it, don't pick it back up again. Amen. 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 And. And that happens so many times. I know so many people that God has delivered them of, of so many different things. Uh, drug addiction, you name it. You know? Uh, and then 10 years later, 5 years later, 3 years later, 6 months later, 3 weeks later, you know? All of a sudden, that thing comes back. You know? And I feel like for the people outside looking in that see these people claim to have been delivered, and then fall back into it three weeks, three months later. And they turn around and say, well, that was a false deliverance. God really didn't deliver you. No, no, no. 
God has the power to deliver, but it's up to you to take it from that point, cling to God, study his word and pray. Keep your defenses up because the moment that you drop your defenses, yeah. you are completely vulnerable to going back to the same thing that once kept you bound. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think it was the, uh, I think it's like the, the book of Genesis, I think in chapter 19, I think it is when, um, when Lot's wife, uh, turned into a pillar of salt for looking back. And I hate to say it, and I wish, I wish this weren't true, but it is true. Sometimes that's all it takes is just literally one look, just one taste, just, you know, uh, if it's, you know, alcoholism might be the thing that uh, is the arrow that keeps on, you know, flying towards your, your head and towards your life. Uh, maybe it's not anxiety for you and you're listening to this today, you know. Um, it could be a different vice. Yeah, you know, what, whatever it is, but, um, and that has a voice as well. But you have to, you have to guard yourself. And you, and you can't put, like the Bible says, put no confidence in the flesh. I just had a thought. It's almost as if these arrows are tailor-made to whatever wounds you already received from yeah. your childhood, yeah. from any post-traumatic experiences. Yeah. It, it, think about it. It's essentially a weak point that the enemy sees. It's almost like in a UFC fight um, when one guy kicks up, keeps kicking the dude in, in the leg. Mm -hmm. Kick after kick, it keeps getting weaker and weaker. Yeah. The same way. The moment that Satan identifies a weak point in your life, he's going to kick it repeatedly because he's already, no, that point is already weakened and he knows that that's the way he'd make you fall. Yeah, that, that famous word, uh, re-injury. Re-injury. Yeah, you, know, you could get at a full operation, let's say, uh, you know, you, you break your collarbone, you know, mm -hmm. doing some type of exercise or sport, and then I see, you know, four years later, you broke it again. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you thought that that you were good. Yeah, <laughs> that you could go back and play the same sport with the same strength, and uh, yeah. I'll even say this: most things like anxiety and drugs and porn, in and of themselves, are not the are not the cause. Sure, they are the symptom of something way deeper. Totally, totally, yeah, yeah, totally. So true. So true. And, uh, yeah, symptoms. That is a whole other podcast. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, before we run out of time, yeah, I think it's your turn for your origin story. How much time do we have? It's all right. Just go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right, so long story short, um, when I was a kid, uh, it all started with uh, me being sick, actually. I'd gotten sick. I can't remember if it was like the flu or, or something. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, th that's why I have to unattach this mic to something metal. Yeah. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but um, it, it all started with... Uh, this time I had gotten sick, I was a kid, and uh, my father had left me with uh, a relative. This relative wasn't married, but was dating somebody, and that somebody uh, ended up having uh, 
court in the house, and I was maybe, I don't even know, I think six or seven years old. And so that for me was uh, was my first introduction, if you will, into what, what the heck porn was, you know. Now, when you came across it at such a young age, what was your, do you remember what your thoughts were? Did you feel confused? Did you feel conflicted? Yeah, I, I instantly knew, like, you know, I instantly knew. First, you know, of course, you know, you're a kid, and so there's there's curiosity. There's, I wouldn't even say fear. You know, it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel right. You know, and there was nobody there to say, hey, don't look at that. You know, it was just out of the open, out of the walls, if you will, literally out of the walls, you know, out behind the door. Um, and so it was just a strange day, strange day. But then again, the arrows, right? And I was a kid, I was like six or seven, and it was just like, boom, two weeks later, I'm at somebody else's house, my neighbor's house, you know? And uh, my neighbor was this kid, um, I'm not even going to say his name because it's unimportant, but we became great friends. He was uh, one of the few kids in my neighborhood that I was friends with. And uh, he had an older brother and uh, was totally addicted to porn. So, you know, it was Playboy everywhere, and, you know, whatever have you. And so that's that's what started. And so imagine, you know, that's, let's say I'm six or seven, you know, you do the math. I'm 41 now, you know, and it's been three years now uh it'll be three years in about i think a month because I, I forget exactly uh i don't i didn't write it down uh my deliverance day if you want to call it that um it's okay and uh but yeah that was it's been it's been it's going on three years that i've been poured free and That's so amazing. yeah yeah totally poured free uh, to the glory of God, man. It's just been uh, an amazing, amazing thing. It was something that for so many years I was a prisoner to, uh, even while serving God, even while in ministry, on and off. It was never a consistent thing. It wasn't, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you, you know, I looked at porn 365 days a year since the age of seven. I'd be lying to you. So it was just something that was always just lurking in the background. Totally. Totally. Just in the shadows yeah, yeah. waiting for you. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes I would go months, you know, without without, you know, struggling with it and then boom, it was just like again and again and again. And uh again, it was just it was a symptom of something deeper. Right. You know. And uh it was something that I would run to when I was stressed out. Uh it was something that I would run to when I was depressed, when I was lonely, you know, whatever have you. Mm-hmm. But I began this this relationship with this thing. It's medicine um, almost. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was totally medicating and didn't even know about it. You know, didn't realize it. I, I didn't. That that language wasn't a reality to me. Mm-hmm. You know, as a kid, as a teenager, and even as a as as an adult, much later on, um, none of that. I, I had I had very few conversations with anybody that really had. Uh, I would say, I don't want to say the answer, as if to say that they were all wrong. But um, I'll I'll put it to you like this. I knew more men that struggled with it than those that were free. You know, the scale was was tipping way more on one side than it was the other. Let's just say it like that, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and Lady Justice was blind. (laughs) But uh, but seriously, it was it was bad. 
it was it was really bad, you know, for a long time. And there was times that I I would fast, I would pray, you know, I would break. I I thought I would like you know break free, but again, um, I think my prayers and everything was just geared in one wave. Like you know, I, God, I just want to be free. But there's the difference between <clears throat> wanting to be free from something and wanting to deal with something. Right. You know, you wanted to deal with the symptom. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to deal with the cause, the root of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like a quick fix. Yeah. Totally. Like like when when, uh, when somebody's overweight and they say uh, prayers like this, God, uh, remove all the fat from my body. Just, I don't know, as I sleep, do a miracle. You know, be, let me wake up and be skinny, you know. Right. Um, let me not be fat. You know, help me to be thinner. You know, help me to be less large. Right. I don't want to do any leg work. Right. I want to wake up tomorrow and yeah. be 45 pounds lighter. Yeah, that's it. That's it. A, a miracle. God, you could do that, right? Yeah. You're, they say you're the miracle maker. I mean, you're part of the Red Sea. The, you're the way maker. You know, make, make a way. Through my fat. For the fat to leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh slip fast you know they don't call it slip fast for a reason they don't call it uh slip slow we want it fast right want it right um, now because we don't want to put the work in you mm -hmm. know and it takes work man i mean oftentimes god will bring you through the more difficult route to teach you something yeah oftentimes he'll leave a thorn in your side in order to teach you something. You just want to remove the thorn. You want to be free from the symptom, but you are not prepared to deal with the root cause of it. And until yeah. you do, yeah. it will never leave. Yeah. And God will not remove that thorn until you deal with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we always got to look to Christ because like, you know, Jesus, you know, like a lot of people say, you know, well, why, why couldn't Jesus be cooler? Why couldn't he be like a cool savior? And just like, snap his fingers you know and like save the world like that like the world is saved in an instant you know i don't have to go to the cross you know uh no blood had to be shed you know uh a price had to be paid and so there's things in this life and in my life that for a long time i tried to skip you know i tried to like wish it away mm -hmm. and prayer does work but we have to pray with reality and not fantasy, you know? Um, and sometimes those two things intertwine and they're not supposed to, mm -hmm. you know? And so I could say now, I couldn't say this then because I didn't even look at it through that, this lens, but I was living in fantasy, you know, to think that, um, that I could please God, that I could, um, be a great husband, be a great father, uh, be a great leader, be a great friend, you know, uh, be a great mentor, and still have this venomous killer in my life, you know. And it was through this uh, hidden, just filthy, filthy, addictive sin in my life that gave way for this uh this thing called anxiety to come into my life you know i i can't say that you know for me it wasn't this thing where um i had anxiety you know since i was a kid i can't tell you that you know if i did i didn't know what it was anxiety you know but i want to say it started about uh 
I think like five or six years ago, maybe around that time. Um, actually, I remember having my first panic attack probably in 2006, I think. And I didn't even know what that was, right. you know. Um, but I thought I thought that I was going to die. Yeah. Uh, if my cousin Chris ever sees this, uh, hopefully one day he will. But I'll, I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget. He literally held me. I was I, my cousin held me like an infant child in his lap, and I'm crying, and I'm like, Chris, I can't breathe. And he's like, Papa just breathe you're breathing right now and I was like no because no, I can't breathe I'm dying and he's looking at me and he's checking he's like touching my throat he's like nah man you're good you're uh, you're not dying I think that, has to, that yeah. has to be the worst part of anxiety is those panic attacks where you <laughs> swear that yeah. death is knocking on your front door and it's not yeah, you took a one, you take one good look around. You took your vitals. Everything's normal. Yeah, it's yeah. all in your head. Yeah, and if you're not by yourself, the people or the person looking at you are like, "No, you're fine. You're okay. What's are you okay? What's what's wrong with you?" I'm dying. Yeah, don't you see? Yeah, I can't breathe. Do you just <laughs> can't you see that I'm suffocating? Even though I'm not in water, or <laughs> you know, it was it was terrible. And he's just there, like you know, rocking me back and forth, and I'm just crying, and I'm just like. And it finally just went away, and I, uh, I remember him. <laughs> I remember him for like, like probably like two years. He would say, "Are you okay? Can you breathe?" <laughs> and uh, he would mock me. And then uh, I remember that he had got a panic attack. Oh, he had already become a uh, professor. Um, he had got his doctor's degree and everything. I, I think it was. Well, I can't remember if it was while he was doing his dissertation or, or what it was. But I remember one day he called me and he said, man, I, I'm just calling you to apologize to you. And I, I didn't know what for what, you know. I'm a little closer, you can't see you. Yeah, yeah. And um, he said, um, I said to him, I said, you know, what, what do you want to apologize to me for? And he said, um, I, I couldn't breathe the other day. And I thought about you, you know. And so uh, panic attacks are a real thing. Anxiety is a real thing. Fear is a real thing, but it does have a birthplace, and it does have an expiration date. It does, if you come into the truth, you know. If you come into the way, if you come into the life, you know. And uh, so, what ended up happening with me? It was something that I didn't want to tell my wife about. I was very semi-open if that makes any sense I was, I was semi-honest everybody's have you ever been semi-honest yeah I think it's called the half-truth okay there you go yeah <laughs> so I was half-truthing it through my the beginning of my marriage and thinking again like you know like I said living in fantasy like you know I'm gonna be this great husband but you know I'll still have my little struggle on the side you know but in reality I, I wanted to be free from it you know but again it was this relationship of knowing what was true knowing what was right but yet continuing to have you know the skeleton in my closet without really exposing it, you know, and without wanting to put it to an end because the truth was, was that I had, and I, I didn't realize this till much, so many years later, I always, there was times in my life that I thought like I had this amazing relationship with God. And I did, I had like a good prayer life and a good word life. 
and had to even become a student, you know, at a Bible college and the whole thing, and had got into ministry, had to become a pastor and all these things. Um, but the truth is, is that all the while, I had a better relationship with sin, with this particular sin, you know, that I had with anybody. I do it well. And then in you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. You know, and so long story short, that was the door that I had opened up for anxiety to come in. And so I would say um, for several years, I would just wake up in the middle of the night feel like I couldn't breathe. And I would get on my knees. And it was this thing where I'm like, I'm crying out to God. And I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I was going to die, like in this lukewarm state. Even though I wasn't trying to be, but I, you know, I felt like I just knew that I wasn't a hundred percent right, you know? Um, and again, cause I was living in that fantasy of thinking that, you know, I could still struggle with this. Like people say, you know, we all have struggles. I don't know if to say that there was a struggle there. When you constantly go back to something that's called a relationship, it's not called a struggle, you know? So we have to be real, you know, and be open and honest about these things. And I had a relationship with this thing that had to be put to an end. And so when I decided to do that, um, and even after God freed me of this thing, it was still coming after me. So here I am now, now I'm like a hundred percent poured free for over a year, poured free for over a year and still, and still, you know, and still um, dealing with this thing of anxiety, not being able to breathe at night, the panic attacks in the middle of the night, the whole thing. And sometimes I wake up my wife and I'm like, yo, baby, I need you to pray for me. You know, and she would get up and she would pray with me. And then I started using the word of God. And it was this one verse. And uh, it was actually two verses, but, but one of them was, uh, was this one in Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 it says you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you all whose thoughts are fixed on you trust in the Lord always for the Lord God is the eternal rock you know and just keeping my mind uh, our God you know and um, and the other one is uh I believe it's in first John. Try a blank. Give me a second. Well, while you find that yeah. verse, I was going to say that uh, when you're fighting these sins, yeah, when you're fighting these temptations, yeah, it's easy to try to do to get out of it, yeah on your own yeah. on your, in your own strength but the word of God is very clear you in and of yourself do not have the power to overcome these sins it is only through the power of Christ that you can overcome yeah 1 John 4.18 was the verse that really until this day uh, it keeps me keeps me delivered uh, because like I said the sucker tries to come back Course. And this is what I always close the door with. Um, there is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And uh, in the delivery translation it says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I realized there is no fear in perfect love, and God perfectly loves me. Amen. And I'm working on perfectly loving him back. And there's no room for fear. You know, and that's and that was the bottom line for me, you know, making that decision to say, I'm not gonna leave any room for the enemy to come in, you know. And so if you're hearing this today, um, I encourage you, we encourage you, um, recognize that voice. You know, pinpoint it, write it down, deal with it. You know, uh, God can't heal or fix anything that's in a closet. We have to bring it into the light. You have to drag it out. Yeah, literally. You have to drag that sucker out. As uncomfortable yeah. as it is, as vulnerable as you feel. Yeah. If you leave it in that closet, if you leave it under your bed, if you leave it in that dark place... You will never be free from it. Yeah. yeah. You have to call it by name and drag it out. Yeah. It's like you're saying that, and I, I just had a... Because you know we're visual beings. Yeah. Uh, you're <laughs> saying that, and I'm, I'm envisioning a person going into a doctor's office because uh, there's something wrong. And the doctor the nurse says, um, I need you to take your clothes off. I'll step outside, you know. Put this gown on, you know. And you're like, what? You know, or sometimes it's not even put this gown on. It's, um, I need you to take your pants off. And you're like, I'm sorry, excuse me? Yeah, everything off. Yeah. Just the gown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need you to just stand there, you know, just butt naked. And you're like, well, I'm not really, not really comfortable with that, you know. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. No. Like when you're going in for a, a full checkup, you know, whatever that means, or if you're being checked, you know, for whatever it is, um, that's what it's like and it's uncomfortable but sometimes in order for us to get better you know we have to bear it all yeah. and growth is painful it really is man and but you're gonna go through pain one way or another <laughs> either the pain of staying in your sin yeah yeah or the pain of growing it's just a matter of what kind of pain would you rather experience one that propels you forward or one that keeps you bound yeah hey, and I actually came across this um, on a different page on Instagram recently. Um, seems like people have this misconception that whenever you sin or whenever you fall short, God just abandons you, leaves you. Yeah. That somehow your sin was able to repel God. Yeah. That he took his Holy Spirit from you. Yeah. Why would God take the Holy Spirit from you when it is what helps you? The Holy Spirit is your helper, which will always help you come back Amen. to God. Amen. It's the only thing we humans have is Amen. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. God doesn't draw, doesn't move further away when you sin. If anything, he draws closer. That's right. Jesus, Jesus came here. It wasn't to build, it wasn't to build a religion. 
He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the broken. So most churches should be, um, shouldn't be a museum for the righteous. It should be a hospital for the broken. Amen. Amen. Um, I just want to close with uh, this verse. You know it. You've heard it. Hebrews uh, 4.16. It says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. And uh, we're going to close with that. Yep. Because there's nothing cooler that. Than that. <laughs> there's nothing greater than God's word. There's no, there's no uh, uh, wise uh, Chinese proverb that I can give you. Yeah. So just remember, come as you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, no... you, but you have to come. You have to. The point is to take the steps to get there. That's right. But yeah. come as you are. Christ can sort out the rest later as long as you're willing. Yeah, yeah. But it's up to you to take that first step. That's right. Amen to that. So. Uh... We love you, we appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys really soon. Stay tuned, uh, like and subscribe, and uh, we're excited for uh, what's coming up next. Yep. Stay tuned. See you on the next one. God bless. Take care. One.